Hello! This episode of Internet Explorer will have swear words. Why not? It's a free country. Um, on a more serious note, this episode also does have descriptions of underage uh, sexual assault. If you find this disturbing, uh, you might want to tune out. Hello and welcome to an episode of BuzzFeed's Internet Explorer. I'm Ryan Broderick. I'm Katie Natopoulos. Hello. This episode is the first in our series of Years of the Internet, and it's going to be about the year 2010. Grab your PBR and ironic mustaches, hipsters. We're going in. This is a a very special three-part dive into the years that changed the internet. That's, That's how we have to say it from now on. Yeah. So, I mean, Ryan and I have been on the internet a long time, as presumably all of you have for the last, I don't know, probably 15 years at least, more, 20 years, we've all been using this thing. And I, you know, we wanted a way to be able to look back on certain points that seemed like these key elements and key years that really influenced where we are now with the whole concept of internet culture. Exactly. And to sort of put that in context of what these things mean for us now. Right. So yes, yeah, so we have three three episodes for you guys uh, based on years the years that changed the internet. Sorry, wait, let me say it the right way. Years that changed the internet. Years that changed the internet. Yeah. We actually have a really uh, a really special guest. If you were on the internet in 2010, you definitely know this username. They went by Jesse Slaughter. Um, it was probably the biggest viral story in, in a weird way of that year. And Jesse Slaughter, who uh, now goes by Damien, Damien Leonhart, is going to be talking to us about what it was like as an 11-year-old to become the face of cyberbullying and online harassment and how scary and weird that is. So definitely, definitely stay tuned for that. Welcome to 2010. Let me paint a little picture. I'm wearing jorts. Uh, I've got really long hair, and sometimes I wear blazers when I want to talk to my professors. I am almost constantly drunk on Four loco. I mean, I'm right there with you. You know, I'm I'm drinking Four loco. Um, <laughs> I have side swept bangs. Unlike you, I'm 29 years old. Oh God! So, um, you know, I have a job and a serious boyfriend that I live with, and am a reasonable adult with some perspective on the the world. But um, let's set the scene of what the internet was like in 2010. Yeah. I'm gonna just everyone hop on the way back machine with your pals Ryan and Katie. Let's do it. And we're gonna talk about a few things that probably will help you remember what this year was like. Yeah. So. The sad Keanu meme, oh, huge, huge, huge meme in 2010. 2010 was also the year of Jimmy McMillan, the rent is too damn high guy, where he entered the New York mm-hmm. state governor race. I actually went to a political event in 2010 where he was there. Um, and like I didn't meet him so much as I was in a group of people that he was talking to after the event. And he was, he was, I mean, definitely insane. Like he was an insane person, uh, really nice guy. Uh, he wore gloves all the time because of brain damage that he says that he suffered due to Agent Orange poisoning in the Vietnam War. I mean, he was certainly eccentric. He was an eccentric. eccentric. But his message, the rent is too damn high, is extremely accurate. And I have voted for him more than once. Wow. Well, hold on. Before we move on, I think it's only right that we listen to his very famous 
the Rent is Too Damn High viral video. As a karate expert, I will not talk about anyone up here because our children can't afford to live anywhere. Once again, why? You said it, the rent is too damn high. 2010, I think, was really like peak meme in the way that we think of memes, but not the way we think of memes now. So now we think of memes as like a funny caption over a picture. Um, what we thought of memes in 2010, and it felt like this was the year these things were finally really coalescing. It was basically just a funny thing you passed around a lot. Yeah, I um, think. And that it, people knew it and you could reference it. So I, I often think about the Macarena in terms of like the meme world of today. And I feel like <laughs> it was this weird thing that would leak into real life. And when the internet started to do that, I think people were sort of up for anything. You know, if you think about bros icing bros compared to sad Keanu compared to something like uh, the Anton, Antoine Dodson bedroom intruder uh, video, which uh, let's play a little bit of that before we move on because it is a, a classic for a reason. He's climbing in your windows. He's snatching your people up, trying to rape them. So y'all need to hide your kids, hide your wife, and hide your husband because they're raping everybody out here. That sort of stuff... It was more this interactive, you know, uh, oh, that's really funny. I'll make my own version, right? It was a remix sort of thing. Everything was sort of steeped in um, this remixable, interactive, like a, like, a, like a popular dance. Like, oh, that's a cool dance. I want to try that too. Right. And I think that for all the years that we're going to talk about, there were sort of in place very specific technical changes as well as general landscape things that made it a possible for people to easily create content to disseminate it, um, and then B have a place to spread it. Yeah, you know what we you know what we haven't talked about yet. What's that? The uh, the most important song of of two thousand ten. Oh, I think I know what that song is. The the anthem of two thousand ten. Most important possible song. Of course, I'm talking about uh, Insane Clown Posse's Miracles, which gave us, of course, the infamous fucking magnets. Fucking magnets, how do they work? And I don't want to talk to a scientist. Y'all motherfuckers lying and getting me pissed. I'm very excited about our next segment because I, I think it's the most uniquely 2000 thing we could we could we could get for this episode. We tracked down Boxy. Katie, do you remember Boxy? Hey guys, it's Boxy. Of we course should, I we, do. Actually, let's play a clip first. I wear I wear too much eyeliner, FYI, Addy, in case you couldn't tell already. But that's okay. Uh, I don't know what you look like. And yet here you are. You know what I sound like. You are a bastard. Boxy was the the the, the queen of 4chan for for a while. She was this teenage girl who would do really uh, you know, basic vlogging stuff on YouTube. And she had that right mix of, like, to me, she reminded me of every girl in every anime club I've ever been a part of. And that is the worst sentence that's ever come out of my mouth. Yeah, I was about but to say, how many anime clubs um, have you been a part of? <laughs> I mean, look, I don't want to, look, we're not talking about me right now. We're talking about Boxy. Right. Um, okay. So we got a hold of Boxy and uh, she's doing really good now, it looks like. She's got a lot of Twitter followers. She tweets a lot about cartoons and anime and video games. Anyways, so we got Boxy to do a little segment for us, um, and this is Boxy's Tips for Going Viral. Hey guys, Katie Wayne here. First things first, if you're going to be famous on the internet, you need to take steps to protect your home address. 
It is shockingly easy to find someone's address if they haven't taken extra steps to hide it. Oh, and as a side note, don't get attached to your phone number. You will change it. My final piece of advice to you, you shining internet star, is do not read the YouTube comments, especially if you're a lady. I know, I know, there are so many people who want to tell you what a good job you did and how much they like you and you're inclined to reply because, hey, you're a humble internet sensation, you're not better than anyone else. But there are also so many people who are angry and upset for reasons that have nothing to do with you. Avoiding YouTube comments doesn't necessarily mean you won't ever see any criticism that is less than constructive. When you come across these unnecessary comments, it's important to keep things in perspective. You'll never be able to please everyone. The best thing that you can do is keep making content that you are proud of and that you enjoy doing. Stay creative and stay safe, you internet superstar. In the 2010 world of MySpace drama and scene kids, there was one name that I think captured how weird and dark and like primordial this whole culture was. And the username Jesse Slaughter was all over the place in 2010. And we actually tracked down Jesse Slaughter, uh, Damien Leonhart. And uh, Damien was nice enough to talk to us about what it was like to go viral, and be rocketed out of the world of MySpace at only 11 years old. Their story, I think, is really unique. It, it's kind of frightening, and it, it also kind of uh, shows exactly how far we've come since uh, the world of 2010 memes and all this stuff. So, Katie, were you ever familiar with the website Sticky Drama? Yes, a little bit. Um, I certainly didn't frequent it, but I was aware of it. There used to be this sort of a webcam like web streaming service called Stickcam. It was popular among young people. Um, and like emo kids especially. So um, it was this really weird world of uh, confessional style videos and lip dubs and it was like all the girls that I knew that used Stickcam and were obsessed with Stickcam were the same girls who would make those bracelets out of the top of Coke bottle caps. Oh, Do you yeah, remember those? Yeah, those um, yeah, I know what you mean. And like everything with children on the internet, uh, stick cam was full of nonsense and sticky drama was the mean shadow website that, uh, you know, chronicled all this fucking crazy shit that was happening on stick cam. And at the same time, there was this band, there was this really intensely sort of dark screamo-y grimy band called blood on the dance floor. And their lead singer, Davey Vanity, was sort of a figure of the underbelly of the uh, stick cam, MySpace, you know, taking a self. I got a selfie with Davey Vanity at Warped Tour 09. Oh, my God. Like picture comment for picture comment, mm -hmm. like that kind of shit. Yeah. And Davey Vanity, of course, is a stage name. It's, you know, and you also imagine someone who kind of looks like Nikki Six, And it's yeah. this sort of over-the-top rock star appearance. And their, you know, and their lyrics were like very vulgar. You know, they have an EP called Cruel Pornography. Anyways, Sticky Drama had a post in 2010, in July of 2010, say, uh, accusing the lead singer, Davey Vanity, of having a sexual relationship with then 11-year-old Jesse Slaughter. And to be clear here, we are 
talking not about, you know, uh, allegations of a lead singer and a groupie. We're talking about a matter that is, you know, if it's true, would be child rape. And even the allegations are, you know, extremely shocking. We're talking about a 10, 11 year old girl here. You know, the idea that someone's spreading rumors about this child being sexually assaulted by an older man are horrifying and disgusting. And, you know, not something for a rumor mill to make fun of the girl. I mean, that's, you know, this is a clear case of some perhaps criminal activity here. Um, We don't know exactly what happened. um, And we don't know fully from either from either party what exactly happened here so at this point we don't know the full backstory on this but the allegations even are just of like serious serious criminal activity it's not funny gossip and and what happened next in this story i think is a really good example of how far i think we have come in like five six years in dealing with these types of stories so this was two days later jesse slaughter makes a video complaining that since the sticky drama post, the B board, the random board on 4chan has found her MySpace, found all of her social media accounts, and they're attacking her. Once again, they respond to what's going on and things get even more out of control. And nowadays, you know, social media, I think, has a lot more accountability. You know, you you compare this to um, recent, uh, you know, campaigns, uh, against uh, sexual assault on college campuses. It, mm-hmm. I think we as a society are realizing that these things can bubble up out of the ether of the internet and we have to take them seriously. But you know, six years ago, it became a giant meme. So 4chan sort of starts harassing her, um, is you know attacking her on her various social media accounts. And this gets to a point where uh, Jesse's parents get involved and there is a new video posted to YouTube by Jesse where her father is yelling into the camera, sort of trying to tell the MySpace trolls, you know, back off, stop doing this. Right. Obviously trying to protect his daughter. But in the course of this, you know, he's sort of a dad who doesn't understand the internet. He says a bunch of things that, you know, we're going to backtrace you for claiming he's going to, you know, trace their IP addresses. So here's here's what the video sounds like. Okay, you guys, this is Jesse Slutter here, and you I know just what? wanted to say that you guys have ruined my life. First I'm gonna tell you right now, dad. this is from her father. You bunch of lying, no good punks. And I know who it's coming from because I've backtraced it. Until this point, for the most part, this whole drama had been relatively small relative to the internet. You know, it was on this uh, small website for teenagers. But with this video of the father, all of a sudden it broke through to the mainstream internet and it exploded. And Yeah, there were t-shirts, remixes. And without the context of knowing what was going on in this girl's life this child's life people just saw the video of a dad yelling at 4chan saying these sort of silly things and people thought it was just funny you know like oh look at this dad he's he's acting so ridiculous it's ha 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 it's funny and they didn't know the whole backstory where what you are actually laughing at is a dad trying to react to people who are saying that his child has been raped which is not funny at all he's 
from a small town in Florida. He gets onto a webcam because he knows like that's where all of this has started. And he addresses all of the trolls and he addresses all these people that are calling his house and, you know, sending pizzas and, you know, he's waiting outside their windows and driving by and he wants it to stop. And what I think is very interesting is that when this story hit American broadcast news, it went absolutely out of control. And mm-hmm. what it, they ended up doing was basically amplifying this spat between teenagers on MySpace and made things just go crazy. And I think it's really weird to look back on that. I, 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 I think about it often when, I, when, when similar stories now happen, you know? Right. What I think this story sort of captures so vividly and unfortunately is how little we sort of understood how the internet would tie into our real lives. And Damien was nice enough to sit down with us and talk about, you know, being 11 and having, you know, your family pulled on national television to talk about people sending pizzas to your house and making threatening phone calls to you and driving by your bedroom window and, you know, attacking you for how you filled out your MySpace profile and what you put on a message board. Yeah, so Jesse Slaughter is now Damien Leonard. They've had a tough life after this video went viral, as you can imagine. Um, Damien's father, shortly after, um, was arrested for punching them, and then uh, Damien ended up in foster care. And in 2011, Damien's father, who appears in the video, actually died. Yeah, of a heart attack. Now Damien is 17 and lives in Florida with their mother, and was nice enough to take some time to talk with us about what it was like living through this. Thank you again. I mean, thank you so much. We, um, we're really excited to talk to you, um, and we really appreciate that you're taking the time to do this and talk with us. Could you tell us a little bit about what happened immediately after you uploaded uh, the infamous YouTube video that went viral. When did you start to notice something was up? I don't know. I can't really remember much from that summer because I was having a manic episode and uh, those really fuck with my memory. So a lot of it is pretty hazy, but I guess it was sort of like when I went online and everybody was attacking me and all my accounts were deleted. So when this all happened in 2010, what was your online life like? Like what were the sites that you were going to most often? What were you doing? What was a typical day for you on the internet? Uh, I was a little scene kid. And so like this was right at the death of MySpace. And so, Mm. you know, trying to check my struggling MySpace watching a lot of YouTube videos. So Katie is, is, is just a little older than I am, so she missed the scene phase, but mine was um, horribly embarrassing. Like, lots of straightened hair and plaid and studded belts. It was, I feel like 2010 was a very dark time for like MySpace fashion. <laughs> Ryan, I've seen pictures of you like from middle school and I think what's saddest about you is you were like a failed scene kid. Like you didn't even quite have it right. I couldn't do it. Yeah, I literally, I failed, yeah. <laughs> that's kind of what I did. I was not that good at being a scene kid. My entire middle school fashion was just horrifying. <laughs> I mean, I think I think <laughs> anyone would say that about their middle school fashion. So 
you, you you put the video up, and as you said, like y- your your accounts were were hacked, right? Like like pretty quickly. Well, I, it's kind of difficult to determine whether or not they were hacked, or whether like YouTube and MySpace deleted them because you know I was eleven. They didn't want the sort of controversial eleven oh. having like an account. Oh, interesting. Because technically you're not like allowed to post to YouTube if you're under what, like 14? 13, but yeah. 13, yeah. Um, Damien, what do you think it was about that initial video that made it uh, such a target for 4chan? Do you think that someone you knew put it there or do you think they just stumbled across it and like posted it to 4chan? I'm pretty sure I knew the person who put it on there. It was somebody who I went to school with who was very, very mad at me. Yeah, I'm pretty sure she put it on there. So it was someone you knew from real life. Wow. Not someone you knew from online. Yeah. Did you ever confront her about it? Uh, not really. I mean, she tried to confront me about it and ended up punching me in the face twice, but... Jesus. <laughs> that was wow. that was about it. Did she ever face any repercussions from that? Like, you know, getting in trouble in school or anything? No. She, she kind of got away scot-free on all of her stuff. Did any of this impact you at school? Wow. Like, did the teachers know about what was going on? Yeah, the teachers definitely treated me badly because of it, especially the principal and the guidance counselor. Because not only was I the weird kid, but I was the first person to come out as queer in the school. Mm-hmm. And then in later, right. you know, middle school, in like eighth grade when I came out as trans, that, that just added on to the cake. But yeah, I was I was already pretty weird and the the teachers treated me differently, the kids treated me differently. Well, they didn't treat me differently. They just had more ammo. <laughs> yeah. Uh, were, were there were there any kids that like had your back and kind of st- like st- st- stuck with you through it? I kind of lost all my friends and had to make new friends. I had like this clique of friends, which is like the emo kids in sixth grade, and none of them wanted anything to do with me. Well, I mean, I can tell you as a former emo kid, you're probably better off because emo kids kind of suck. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the ones at my school were kind of mean and stuck up and, you know. So, so Damien, um, this whole thing led to you going on national TV. Can you tell, uh, for a lot of the, our listeners who might not remember this, or, you know, it's maybe kind of foggy, can you sort of explain how quickly things progressed into you going on TV to talk about your video? Because I feel like nowadays we're very used to, like, kid goes viral, he's on the Ellen DeGeneres show, but... You know, five years ago, the world, I don't think, was really ready to deal with this. So could, could you kind of just walk us through what happened? Yeah, I think the original video was posted, like, July 10th or something like that. So it was sort of, it got really, really viral, and then I ended up going to the mental hospital, and then as soon as I got out, we ended up going over to the Palm Coast and going on Good Morning America. And, and what was that like? Like, th- this must be totally surreal for a 12-year-old to all of a sudden be talking about, you know, 4chan and YouTube and the internet on national TV. This It, it seems like, it seems frightening. It was weird. <laughs> it didn't feel like anything big at the time. It was just like, oh, this is a thing that's happening. Did you feel like going on... Good Morning America to talk about it was like your chance to sort of tell your side of the story that maybe people didn't know? Not at all. 
they they and my parents pretty much told me exactly what to say. Were you upset about that? Not at the time, but now I'm pretty sort of like, you know, it was a, it was a wasted opportunity. But then again, when I was 12, I probably would have said something really dumb. <laughs> Did you feel like people were taking you seriously or taking what had happened to you seriously? Or do you feel like they didn't really know how to talk about the, you know, what was going on with you? Uh, some people took it super seriously. Other people thought it was sort of just like joke, jokish, I guess. There was that one lady on Good Morning America who was like talking about cyberbullying or whatever after my little segment, which was really weird because she didn't know like anything about how like computers work or how social media works, which is pretty funny. <laughs> So some people took it, like, super-duper seriously, while other people were like, lol, look at this girl and her father being all dumb. What did, I mean, there was such, I mean, such a strong and, like, scary and bad reaction to the original video. I mean, Ryan and I have not ever experienced anything like this in our lives, and, like, we're also adults. Like, I, I can't imagine what this must have felt like for you at age 11. Like... What possibly did it feel like? I mean, I can't really remember much from that summer, and so it's weird to, like, say I felt a feeling when I can't really remember feeling that feeling. Mm. Uh, I guess it sort of felt intimidating and scary. Mm. But um, sort of the worser trauma from it came years after. How so? It wasn't just people posting on their own thing. It was people actively seeking me out. Because, like, yeah, I had, like, comments on YouTube and stuff like that. But that was sort of like, oh, it's public. People are dicks. But when people are, like, actively seeking your stuff out to send you hateful messages and harass you, then it's then that's, that's sort of the scarier bit to me. So when did that start? Um, about 2012, sort of like when I got home from foster care. And so, like, 2012 was a really rough year because it was, like, me freshly back on the Internet after, you know, the big wave. Was going to foster care related to the video and everything at all or was completely unrelated? Uh, it's kind of related. My dad was really abusive towards me and my mom. And so he kind of saw the anger issues with them. And so that also put extra stress on the family, which made him mm. even angrier. So that's how that happened. Your your dad is the guy in the, the the done goofed sort of thing. That that's him, right? Yeah. You talked about your parents sort of prepping you to go on Good Morning America. I mean, what did they think about this? I mean, as you guys talked about it, or you're trying to explain to them, you know, there's like this invisible army of shitty dudes and like nerds that are making your life miserable. Like, how do you explain? that to them. Do you remember? I didn't really explain it to them. Basically, I, I kind of tried to keep it as suppressed as possible until like, oh, the police are at my door. And then like, they mm. were like, well, shit. And I didn't really explain anything to them. It was sort of they found out for, via like, random people calling my house and the police at my door and, you know, us going on Good Morning America. My parents, I mean, I guess they had some right. idea about what was happening, but it was not not particularly. They didn't have much of an idea. So 
I want to like flash forward to to now because I, I want to get your opinion on what you think about stories similar to yours that happen nowadays. I mean, you know, you think about um, it's it's like almost every day, like a person tweet something or puts it on Facebook. And then all of a sudden, like hundreds of thousands of people are, you know, sending the messages. Do you think that the way we treat victims of mass cyberbullying, like you experienced are getting like better help or they're, we're dealing with it better. What, what do you think about it? It's, I feel like nowadays a lot me, a lot of people are more sort of understanding that. Yes, there is a person behind that photo. There is a person behind that video it's not just a funny picture that is like it has no meaning behind it when you share things it has a, a meaning to a person who put it there it's you know we're we're connected this it's not like it's not a cold screen but still nowadays i feel like people still sort of don't understand completely that what they do has an impact even if you're not meaning it to be harassing or harmful it still has an impact do you feel like i feel like one of the things that was so striking about what happened versus i think what would happen now is that it seemed like no no adults or reasonable people were intervening and i think that like you know if this this had all happened today. I think, you know, Ryan and I would be writing about it on BuzzFeed and saying, you know, this is terrible. Yeah, because everybody just kind of saw it as childish bullying. Yeah. You know, nobody saw it as like, oh, this is a threat. This is actual harassment. Everybody was just sort of like, oh, this is kind of just a thing that's going on on the internet, you know. Yeah, it seems like everyone was like too busy being shocked that we were even like the internet was even a thing we were talking about. Like I remember I was in college, uh, when I, I heard about your story and I remember just being like, wait, why are they talking about 4chan on the news? Like it, it was such a, a novel. We, I couldn't, I don't, I wasn't, I don't think the country was like ready to seriously think about the, these things, but now it's, it's like part of our lives. And it, it just, I feel like it, I get angry some when I think about like, how the media sort of and how the country sort of like reacted to your story because I mean it's like naive that we were naive about it but then also we shouldn't like no one there were it's like what Katie said there were no adults like where were the adults who said like this girl is the target of like hundreds of thousands of people like making her life miserable and she's like 11 and it, I don't know like years later I'm still sort of like weirded out and angry about it yeah it's it's really weird that nobody sort of like saw anything and the people who did try to intervene knew nothing about the internet they were basically like oh just shut off your computer and it'll go away was there ever a point where you were scared for your safety yeah there was it was it was like in august or something it happened like after good morning america where a dude was walking around like the block outside my house and he was like outside my bedroom window which was really creepy. Jesus. That was wow. that was he, fuck. Super scary. He was looking for you like he knew who you were. Yeah. It was it was just a local person who was just yeah. trying to freak me out, but you know, it was still you know, scary. Do you ever get people reaching out to you for help? Yeah, I get messages on Tumblr uh, and like tweets of people like, "Oh, you know, I'm 
depressed and stuff and it's usually not about like internet bullying as such it's more about like mental health and trans stuff nowadays but i do get people like messaging me like for advice or just asking me like oh how do you deal with this and i'm like dude try to get my best advice i'm not the i'm not a uh i'm not a guru by any standards well damien i think i think i think we can say if there's one silver lining on this is that you're not a social media guru who are the worst people on earth. <laughs> Have you ever had anyone like reach out to you and say, I'm sorry, like I was one of the people who made fun of you and I, I realized I was wrong and I'm sorry? Yeah, a couple people. Mostly like anonymously on Tumblr and stuff. And mm. um, on like different boards on 4chan and 8chan, 8chan's especially fun to me nowadays. Um, I, I seem to find a lot of posts on there within like threads about me that are like, yeah, I made fun of them once, but now I'm like super regretting it. They're actually kind of cool. Do you think part of it is that the internet is nicer now than it was? Or do you not agree with that? It's not nicer per se, but there's... I wouldn't say more repercussions if you do something that's not nice, but there's more people willing to call you out. Yeah. You know, there's there's more open talk about things that are fucked up. It's not as you don't talk about this because it's taboo and because you'll get trolled. It's like, yeah, you, you talk about it. I, I want to I just say thank you. Thank you dearly for, like, letting us sort of, go through this with you again. I know that it's probably, it sucks to kind of bring up, but I, you, you are one of the first. And I feel like the further we get away from your story, the almost more important it becomes to remember that for a moment in time, like an 11 year old girl was the, the public enemy number one on the internet. And no one, no adult stepped in and said, this is fucked up and we need to like do something. And we just like let it happen. And as I said, I'm still angry about it, but thank you so much for talking about it with us. You're welcome. It isn't that big of a deal to bring it up because it's not that hurtful anymore. I sort of worked through it. So I, I quite enjoy talking about it with people and having people sort of learn from the experiences. That's really awesome. Damien, I feel, I feel like people will learn from this, I think. If you had to tell somebody who was being bullied something, like something that just like to hold on and be like, don't worry, like, what would you tell someone in your situation now? Like, what should they what should they do? What should they kind of keep in mind? It's okay to be sad. It's okay to be scared. It's okay to go get help. It's okay to experience trauma and to work through it and to be vulnerable. You don't have to be strong and stand up to the bullies. It's it's perfectly acceptable to get help, and I, I certainly recommend somebody you know if you don't see a therapist or something try to find somebody who you confide in try to find a community that you confide in and it's completely okay to feel what you're feeling because what you're ha what's happening to you is shitty and it's not your fault that it's happening well thank you again from one former emo kid to another this was this was a really great interview and thank you so much for coming on seriously you're welcome For every year in this uh, series, we're asking each other uh, the same set of questions. I'm going to start. 
Ryan, how did you find porn in the year 2010? <laughs> oh, man. I can't believe I have to answer this with you three times. Um, so in 2010, how did I find porn? 2010 was the end of my time uh, scrounging through message boards for pass, uh, username and passwords that would go to p- porn sites. So 2010 was sort of the birth of the tube site, the streaming porn site. So I think 2010 was uh, around the years when I started to use like Pornhub or, you know, the equivalent sort of site. And it was very exciting because all of a sudden it was like going from foraging for berries and, you know, hunting animals to uh, Domino's delivering five for five deal, you know, straight to my mouth. It was like the, <laughs> the that's, that's, uh, that's how I found porn in 2010. Oh, brother. <laughs> okay. So, Katie, I have a question for you now. Shoot. In 2010, how were you hurting people's feelings on the internet? Well, Ryan, as a someone who has used <laughs> the internet for evil, um, admittedly, and you know, I, I I'm reformed now, and I try not to hurt people's feelings on the internet anymore. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Yeah. Partly, I have just learned as a older, wiser person, it's bad to do. But also, you know, I I work for a a large website. I have a big platform to speak my voice with. And, uh, you know, with power comes responsibility and you can't use that for evil. But back in 2010, I had no power and no responsibility. So I would say that I was using the internet. The main way I was hurting people's feelings was I ran a popular blog called Sorry I Missed Your Party. And the premise of Sorry I Missed Your Party is I would go onto (laughs) Flickr and I would search, you know, for random pictures of people's parties. So maybe I would search for like keg party and I would find some like college kids and I would post it and I would kind of like write a little description that kind of made usually kind of made fun of the people. And I never asked permission from the people to take their pictures because in 2010, it never occurred to me that you would need to ask permission to take someone's picture if they had posted it freely on the Internet. Like, hey, you put it out there. Why would you not let me take it? Um, Occasionally, people would write to me and be like, hey, you're a jerk. Take that down. I would take it down. It was mean and nasty in a way that I would never do now. And I don't think people would enjoy it if I did now. Yeah, you're a dick. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I mean, there, there's parts of that blog where I'm very proud of it because I think some of it was very funny. And there's other parts where I look at that and I cringe and I think, oh, my God, I can't believe I said that. That was really just mean and petty. But speaking of petty, yeah. Ryan, wow. in 2010, how were you stealing yeah. content? So the one thing I love more than anything is stealing copyrighted material uh, to entertain myself um, <laughs> or rather not stealing it because I don't I don't really like like the act of stealing stuff. But I love not paying for things. And that's really what it's all about for me. You know, Ryan, you do realize those things are synonymous. No, no. It's not stealing if people give it to you for free. And that's, I think, what 2010 is all about. And what I was stealing the most of in 2010. Okay, get this. So um, I, was at a col- I was at a college like humor magazine, newspaper sort of setup. And in the office, uh, we had uh, a computer that no one was using for anything. So what we did was we hooked up a bunch of portable hard drives to it and we loaded it with movies. And all we would do is just sit in the office and watch like tons of movies on a giant screen TV and just like get really drunk. And uh, <laughs> yeah, that was that was what I was stealing the most of in 2010. For the record, I don't condone any of Ryan's stealing behavior. I, lo- I love paying for content. 
Oh, yeah. I should probably say, in case anyone from Hollywood is listening, I allegedly did all of that. (laughs) (laughs) I hope you go to jail. I didn't do it. I allegedly did. Okay, last question. Katie, you are obviously older, you're wiser than me, and you're like a you're like a pretty big hipster. Like you're, I think, but like in the real kind, like, you know, what's hip, like, you know, what's cool. <laughs> so I need to ask you what was cool in 2010. Um, so in 2010, I was living in Williamsburg. Um, and you know, Oh, that's so cool. Very <laughs> cool. Just kidding. I mean, th- by 2010, that was a little bit, you know, it was already sort of peaked a little, like it wasn't that cool to live in Williamsburg anymore. Um, but I think that that sort of wow. genre was like, this was sort of the very like beginning of the end of the concept of like hipsters where hipsterism had gone from like the concept of a niche subculture to just meaning like anyone who eats kale salad, which is like literally everyone now. <laughs> well, kale salad is awesome. Well, Katie, that was 2010. That was the good, the weird, the bad. Was it was it the way you remembered it the first time around? This was exactly the way I remembered it. I think we covered the year to a T. <laughs> I think we fucking nailed it, um, honestly. Um, no, but it... it it is weird to look back on 2010 and think about it being so long ago, but also not really that long ago. But then on the internet, six years might as well be a thousand years. So, you know, it's all fucking weird bullshit anyways. But I want to thank uh, Damien Leonard for coming on and talking about their experience and, you know, how how weird that is. I also want, want to once again give a shout out to Insane Clown Posse for making the song Miracles. I just want to keep hitting that home and how good that song is um thanks so much to boxy aka katie wayne if our producer julia furlon was a thing that you're really embarrassed about from 2010 what do you think she'd be katie i think she would be um a von dutch trucker hat that you kept a little too long Uh, uh, because that's really like a 2007 thing i think that um, Meg Kramer would be an iPod that's like totally shattered and she can't get any of the music off of it, but she would lose all that music if she were to get rid of it. So she just listened to it all the time and everyone's like kind of judging her for having it. Yeah, definitely. Jenna Weiss Berman would be a Facebook group that you created to get all your friends' phone numbers after you lost your phone. Oh, oh my God. That is so real and awful. Eleanor Kagan would be... One of those dudes that saw your party on the public Facebook events page and then shows up to it uninvited. <laughs> I, I know this because I was that guy. I would literally look at like all the house parties uh, listed on the Facebook events and see if I had any friends in common and I would go. Mm-hmm. Which was, uh, that's that's a really depressing thing I just admitted. And uh, special thanks to Noriko at Argo Studios. Um, Noriko, since she's a works at a music studio she would be someone who still has a band myspace page in 2010 and is always asking you to like their band's myspace page 
Oh, the ban MySpace page still in 2010? That is bleak. If Tanlines was an embarrassing band from 2010, they'd be like that entire wave of like British indie rock bands that came over, like Los Campesinos, like all those twee bands that like were on MTVU, the special MTV University channel. <laughs> Maybe like that. Um, thanks so much, everyone, for listening. You can always email us at internetexplorer at buzzfeed.com, and you can follow us on Twitter. Stay tuned for more years. I go into like BuzzFeed holes and like four hours later, I'm like, why am I on the parenting side of this? I don't even want children. Um, that's, that's our master plan. <laughs> yeah, we did it.